Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. It's been a little bit of time since I posted one of these uh, podcast video simulcast things. It's been back since I think the very beginning of March was the last time that I, I did one of these. Uh, in case you have not been following the YouTube channel, I actually moved house and I got all moved in by the end of May. And then, of course, you know, with all the COVID stuff, my game group hasn't been meeting. I wasn't even having uh, game nights with my family until just recently, a couple of weeks ago, we started. And so it's been a little while. Uh, so this episode is going to be a little bit of a catch-up episode, but I have been fortunate to have been joined by a special guest, uh, Chaz Marler of the Paradise Paradise Podcast. And I think this is the first time that he's been a guest on the channel, although he might have popped up on here several years ago. I'm not, <laughs> my memory's a little bit hazy there. So this is going to be kind of a looking forward and looking back episode. I'm going to jump right into the interview here with Chaz, and we're going to talk about some of the things that we're looking forward to coming up uh, in 2021. Uh, this year's just been really, I mean, it's been a year. Uh, I don't really want to go into it much more than that because I want to try to keep this sort of forward-looking. You know, it may be a little bit of head in the sand. I'm trying not not to do that. We're just trying to, you know, put that light at the end of the tunnel and try to make it shine a little bit brighter than it has been, I think, uh, in a lot of ways recently. And so we're going to jump into that interview here in just a second. And then after that, I'm going to try to play a little bit of catch-up. I'm going to do a little bit of a preview of coming attractions because I've been playing uh, a little bit more games lately. So I'm going to give you kind of a sense of what's coming here, some of the stuff I've enjoyed, before jumping into the end of the episode where I'm going to review some stuff that, yeah, maybe I'm not so hot about. I have dropped a couple of reviews on the YouTube channel here over the last month or so, a little bit sporadically. Because uh, like I said, it has been hard to get games played. Uh, we've been doing stuff over Tabletop Simulator, you know, with my kind of Thursday night game group. And so we've gotten some stuff played that way. And a little bit with the family and stuff, but it has been, you know, tricky. And I think tricky for a lot of folks uh, because the whole meeting face-to-face -face thing is, uh, you know, it is what it is. So let's jump into a realm of positivity with Mr. Chaz Marler. So, I am happy to have, I think for the first time, at least in a long time on the channel, uh, Mr. Chaz Marler from Paradise Paradise. Hello. Among other things. Welcome, Chaz. Yes. You have quite branched out, I think, since uh, since the last time you were on this channel, which must have been a few years ago. It must have been. Uh, yeah, I've actually been experimenting quite heavily with the among other things. <laughs> uh, I've been, you know, I, I historically did a lot of work with the Dice Tower, but recently I've been, you know, doing producing videos for Board Game Geek's YouTube channel. And just in May, uh, Rodney Smith from Watch It Played and I uh, created kind of, we launched a uh, creative partnership and I'm doing a lot of work on the Watch It Played channel now, which is which has been really, really cool. As well as uh, Paula Deming, right? From Paradise, or not Paradise, uh, from... Things Get Dicey. Oh, Things Get Dicey. I knew there was dice in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah there's always dice. Some dice or meeples everywhere. Uh, yeah, Paul, Paula Deming from Things Get Dicey and Matthew Jude from the This this Game is Broken podcast. Uh, they're, they're both just phenomenally talented and hilarious people. And I actually hooked up with them uh, shortly before hooking up with Rodney. So when uh, I came over to start work with Rodney, it's like, hey, you know, um, we've got these other awesome people too. Want uh, want to work with them as well? And it's like, oh, sure. So we kind of have been figuring out how to all work together as we're scattered across the globe at this point. So Well, that's just too much talent for one channel. I'm going to have to ask you guys to uh, to – Pump the brakes a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> we, we received your letter from your lawyer, so we're aware. <laughs> so Ch I'm happy to have Chaz on here because we were spitballing the other day, and uh, we thought it might be fun to talk about some of the things that we're looking forward to in the year 2021. Uh, so this year has been, you know, a dud year across the board for many reasons, uh, maybe least of which is kind of the interruption into the normal gaming hobby, at least for the two of us and several other people. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, we thought, let's try to look forward and, you know, hopefully try to think positive thoughts and that kind of stuff and talk about some of the games and maybe some other things outside of just games that uh, we're looking forward to uh, in the near future, hopefully next year. And, you know, we'll see. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. And so, Chaz, did you have anything that you are looking forward to in 2021? Uh, yeah, there's there's like a few things. Uh, it's it's really interesting. I usually back maybe two Kickstarters a year, but for some reason, maybe it's just from being cooped up. I've I've backed like <laughs> nearly ten. It looks like so, holy cow. Yeah, uh, I thought yeah. I was bad. You got me beat. <laughs> so there's quite a few things. Uh, and one of them actually is the uh, new BattleTech BattleTech Clan Invasion Kickstarter. Um, mm. That was supposed to be coming out by this time, but you know, with ev- as with everything, you know, production has been delayed. But uh, you know, I kind of. I grew up with Battletech in the 80s. That was my miniatures game of choice. And, you know, kind of always had a, a little bit, it was always in the back of my mind. But uh, at, when Catalyst Games uh, reintroduced the new core box a couple years ago, I got in, I got that and kind of got back into it with my daughter, who's now in her teens. So it's, she's at a really good age to introduce it to. And um, so then when, when they launched the Battletech Clan Invasion Kickstarter, uh, last year, I jumped into that and have been really looking forward to you know all of the the the, the, you know, the new miniatures, the mechs, the maps, uh, and uh, a lot of the actual supplemental stuff that they have. There's you know like dice and pins, but also there's literature and books and stories and stuff they're releasing too in the universe. Oh, nice! Yeah, they went all out with this Kickstarter, so I'm really looking forward to getting that and. Really, fully re re immersing myself in the BattleTech universe. Yeah, you know, I remember you telling me about this mm. when it was up there, and then I thankfully had willpower. <laughs> but now I'm seeing this big button that says "Late Backers Enlist" here. Uh oh. And my willpower, because you and I have talked off and on about BattleTech, and it's something that I really wanted to you know explore. Because mm-hmm. uh, you talk it up, and it's just. I like the footprint of it, you know, and, I, you know, I've been getting into miniature games the last few years now, yep. and it looks like a really neat system, so, uh, yeah, it, wow, yeah. It's one of those, uh, you know, I, I was really surprised when, when I when I picked up the new core set uh, a year or two ago, uh, I, I thought, okay, it's been, you know, what, eight, nine, eight, it's been almost 30 years at this point since the original came out, I believe, in, in 84 or 85. So it's been nearly 30 years. Uh, they've got to have streamlined these rules and everything and, and kind, of, you know, kind of made it modernized. And no, it's almost exactly the same. You know, the, the rules over the years were streamlined and, and, you know, improved, but they got to a certain point where they said, yeah, this is it. This is what Battletech is. So I was really shocked it was like, not a day had passed since I, you know, left off <laughs> in, with the rules. I didn't have to relearn. I had to refamiliarize myself with a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, right. You know, those darn LRM two hit tables and everything. But uh, it is right. very, very, has that old school, nice feel to it. You know? Yeah. I think I've gazed longingly at the beginner's box because they came out with like the beginner's box and then the kind of the standard mm-hmm. starter box. Yes. And I've gazed longingly at both of those. And I think even at Gen Con last year, uh, they had it there. And I was like, I, I just made it out of there by the skin of my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those games that, you know, all you really need is, you know, a few character sheets, the the core rule book, and, you know, um, a surface and some minis. And so it's definitely one that's a candidate for playing on a nice day at like BGG Con or something uh, right. when we have like a nice four-hour block. It's, it's definitely... Uh, we should uh we should, yes. we should put that on the list we should we should uh you're, you're killing me <laughs> my my pleasure so my first item on the list sticking with the whole uh, kickstarter theme mm-hmm. and it's actually currently still on kickstarter mm-hmm. uh so this is not a plug for any nobody's paid me to say this <laughs> but uh i have always been a big fan of the ascension deck building game mm-hmm and they are currently running an Ascension Tactics uh, miniature game, which it looks really neat. And I've had a chance to actually play around on the Tabletop Simulator mod that you can download for free if you want to try it out. And uh, so I played a couple of games with that. And, you know, of course, read through the rules and everything. 
and I'm really excited for it because it's it's a lot more than I expected it. Oh yeah, out of it. Yeah, because it, it's really like just playing Ascension. Okay. Uh, so if you ever play Ascension, you know you got your six cars in the center row, and you get uh, I forget what they're called, like the Mystics and the Infantry, and you get runes and power, you know, and you deck build and all that stuff. And the game really is just pretty much that. It's just when you play some of the cards, they'll have these command points that you you spend to activate your miniatures and move around the board and attack and things like that. And of course, there's a whole mess of special abilities and all that kind of stuff. But it's really still just a pure kind of deck building game. But then also has this, you know, board thing going on. So it kind of reminds me sort of like trains, but doesn't mm. play like trains, obviously. Or... Do you remember, Chaz, the one that was like a D&D? Oh, Tyrants of the Underdark. Oh, I love Tyrants of the Underdark. Uh, yeah. So it's like, it still feels like you're playing a pretty pure deck builder. Okay. But then your cards are sort of manipulating things outside the scope of, you know, just the deck of cards. Um, it's not one of those where it's more complex and, you know, it's like some of the more advanced ones. But I've never seen it with. A miniature skirmish game. You think of like a Warhammer Underworlds or, I don't know, Heroescape or, you know, something like that. It's a little bit more basic miniature game. But it plays really snappy and fun. And it has that kind of quick, frantic pace of Ascension. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited about this. And it kind of uh, blew me out of the water. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm cynical me. I'm like, oh, it's just they're taking a really popular deck building game and slapping in some miniatures. And, you know, what is this? And it's actually pretty sort of... Uh, kind of subliminal, like everything that's going on, because I found that each time I played it, I wanted to immediately play it again, just to try out some new combo or something or some you know setup of characters and that kind of thing. Oh, that's a good sign. Uh, did, yeah, so I'm really excited about that one. Did you play the? Uh, it, was, it was like four or five years ago, uh, and it, unfortunately, it withered on the vine before it got going. It was that Magic Arena of the Planeswalkers game. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you play that at all? I did. It's basically Heroescape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Heroescape. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought that Ascension Tactics was going to be a lot closer to that vibe. But it sounds like it's a lot more uh, adheres to the deck building side a lot more than. It is. It really, and this might be a turnoff for folks, actually. Uh, but it wasn't for me. But it's really a card game. Okay. Like, it really feels like a card game because the cards that you get out of that center row and all the abilities and combos and stuff, that's the most important part of the game. It. it I don't want to undersell like the tactics and the skirmishy part of it. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's still important. I, I, I felt, um, but it's really focused on the card side of it, which to me is cool because I play like kill team and Necromunda and Warcry and all that kind of stuff. So I don't really need another, you know, skirmish game. Mm -hmm. I've got enough of that. Um, and so this, that sort of, more focus on the deck building side of it was kind of an interesting part to me. Nice. Okay. Darn it. I thought yeah, I was going to be able to, yeah. I thought I was going to be able to get out of this conversation <laughs> without an 11th item on my Kickstarter list, but I, I'm not sure now. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So back to you. Do you got anything for me to okay. get stuck well, into? Uh, speaking, speaking of Kickstarters, you thought you were going to be able to let slip by. Uh, not that this has to be Kickstarter themed, but I missed the first round of Nemesis and thought oh. I would be okay. And then every month that went by, I was like, oh, I just I want to play that game. I wish I had it on the shelf. So when the uh, Nemesis and Lockdown expansion Kickstarter came around, I, I dove in with both feet and I backed that. So that's I'm looking forward to finally getting a copy of Nemesis, uh, especially with a nice Lockdown add-on. Um and, and having that hit the table when that finally arrives. So have you still not played that? I haven't, no. I, I have researched it, and I have looked at it longingly from across, like, gaming halls, but... <laughs> yeah. So you don't want to ask me about that, because... I, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had a discussion. Okay. But <laughs> if you asked uh, our mutual friend Jamie about it, he will have the exact opposite opinion of me. See, so. exactly. I, I see. When, I, when it came to backing it, when my finger was hovering over the, the, the button, I let <laughs> I had you and Jamie's heads floating over my shoulders, <laughs> and I listened to Jamie instead of you. <laughs> well, okay. So hopefully that works out for you. It is a neat game. You know, honestly, Chaz, I'd probably like to play it again, just because... I listened to the Seeker Cabal, and mm. um, 
they just rave so much about it. And I'm like, what did I miss? You know, I'm like, I missed something out of this. I know it has some potential pitfalls. I, I know it can lead to early player elimination. I know it can yeah. lead to just fizzling sometimes. You know, you, the, the players really have to be in the spirit of it, I think. Uh, but to be honest, you know, another reason I backed it is um, my wife and I like to play a lot of Space Hulk. Um, it's a game. Oh. I, yeah. And, you know, having more one of the things that we do sometimes is uh, we've actually played with like uh, I got a set of Star Trek Hero Clicks figures and so we actually played one game of it where I took out the Space Marines we used the same rule set but mm. we substituted Star Trek uh, little minis and we're, we did like a whole Star Trek storyline and so being able to do like aliens you know with uh, actual more like alien look uh, Geiger looking aliens and uh, right. you know the Ripley looking Marines being able to take those from Nemesis and plug those into Space Hulk was another reason why I ended up backing it. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I can see the attraction of that. Now, just to riff a second, so have you seen that, uh, I don't remember the full name of this game, but it's from Gale Force 9. Oh, uh, Another Day in the Core. I love. Uh, yeah, That's the uh, Aliens, Another Day in the Core game. Oh, yeah, I am waiting for that um, as well. And, yeah, it feels like we've been waiting for that about it for about a year. Yeah, well, it's Guild Force Nine, so <laughs> true. That's yeah. true. But uh, yep, I'm I uh, that one. You know, uh, I've 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 long wanted an Aliens game, and but the reason I'm looking for that one is again with for Space Hulk, kind of the same reason for playing mm-hmm. that. There is a really good Aliens game from the early '90s, I think, um, and it's just paper. Uh, paper counters, standees, and things. But I got to play that at a local game group uh, a year or two ago, and it was very true and uh, kept adhered to the feel of the films. Um, but uh, hmm. yeah, I can't remember. I think that. I've heard you, you or maybe somebody else, to also talk about it. But probably, yeah, I never heard of it other than that. Yeah, um, I could probably, I, I could get the name of it, but I'd have to go look it up. So. Yeah. I tell you what, Chaz will get the name of it, and then I will put it in the show notes. There we go. There we go. <laughs> that alien game Chaz was talking about, and I'll put a link. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh. I found it. <laughs> okay. It's just Aliens from 1989. Uh, 1989. Wow. Yeah, wow. Okay, yeah. Aliens, and the box is just black with the Aliens logo saying, this time it's war. But yeah, that was a really good gaming experience if you could track down a copy of that one. Hmm. Okay, cool. Okay, so I got one more game. To mention, and unfortunately, it is we did not plan this to have these all be Kickstarters, but um, mine is, uh, and actually, I've played mine, Return to Dark Tower. Ooh, uh, so ooh. I think everybody's probably excited about that. But uh, I had a chance to play it at BGCon last year, 2019, and obviously, it was an early prototype. Uh, you know, I think the rules have changed, and definitely the mechanisms and the machine itself have changed. But it was a whole boatload of fun. I was this is another one I was really like not expecting too much out of it, but I wanted to, you know, take a look at it because it is Dark Tower and it has this kind of mythical status, you know, in the hobby industry as a whole. And I was really surprised. Obviously, it plays nothing like the original. It's uh, it's a co-op. It kind of reminds me of Defenders of the Realm in a way, just mm-hmm. kind of the way things go. Definitely. Although mecha- mechanically, have you played it? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I got the demo at PAX. Yeah, at PAX Unplugged. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So what did you think of it? I got the same vibe that you are describing. Yeah, it almost did have mm-hmm. a little bit of that uh, uh, Defenders of the Realm vibe to it, just a little, uh, with the characters yeah. and, and kind of moving it around and always beating things back. Um, de- definitely. But uh, what did you think of the whole, you know, mechanized systems that they have in place with the app and everything? I loved it. I mean, I thought it was really cool. Um, Now, the app that we were using then obviously was very rudimentary. And Rob Davia was there kind of guiding the demo. So he was kind of forcing it to do certain things. Okay. Because at at that point, they were really, I would say, this is just kind of my impression, they were probably 85% done with kind of the core mechanics and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they were really getting into that last point where they're trying to fine tune balance. So, you know, when this event triggers, does it spawn four monsters or five monsters or whatever? Okay. That kind of thing. Um, and so he was actually adopting that on the fly. <laughs> um, he was like, you know what? That's, you know, I changed that number because, you know, he had just run like two previous tests and stuff. And so he was able to sort of control. Uh, everything you know with that 
And then he had some weird debug build of the app. So it was hard to tell like the usability and functionality of the app itself mm-hmm. and really get a good sense of that. But in terms of like the whole, uh, the system as a whole with the tower spinning around and lighting up and it did make some sounds. I think you probably at PAX had played the newest version of the tower because when I took pictures of it at BGGCon, they said, oh, no, no, you can't put it on Facebook or anything like that because we're not really premiering it here at BGGCon. We're premiering it at PAX. And I saw some pictures, I think that probably maybe you took at PAX, and it was like a way better looking uh, tower than what we used. But the overall like experience of the tower spinning and like dumping skulls out onto the, the different regions and all that kind of stuff and certain things like closing on. And then it felt like kind of like the eye of Sauron. There was that mm-hmm. one thing where like, if it was looking at you mm-hmm. or whatever, then you had to deactivate a power. I don't remember exactly, but uh, yeah. So I like that, you know, from what, what I could see of it, but the overall sort of the whole thing of like putting out fires was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, in pandemic or defenders around, you have that whole kind of thing where you kind of chase around stamping out fires, but the way that it did it here with a little bit of that narrative feedback coming out of the app was really neat. So like something that would happen that happened to us actually was there was the main plot and there was like some kind of ritual or something at the tower. But then all of a sudden, like the third round, this wizard pops up and then we were like, Oh, whatever. And then he came back in like round seven and then he, because we didn't take care of him. Mm -hmm. Then he cooked up, you know, like three realms or regions, yeah. you know, on the countryside. And it was like, oh, no. And that made us <laughs> trying to win the, win the game even harder and that kind of stuff. So there's a bunch of little, like, weird, um, just little details like that that were just really neat. Yeah, I, I, I noticed we, we didn't – I don't think at PAX we even played a full game. We just had a, a allotted amount of time to start playing it until we ran out of time. But e- even with that, yeah, I noticed how – what was neat is the app was able to – kind of weave this uh, continuity through the whole story and yet things it would remember things that happened and and it kind of increased the odds that certain events or callbacks would kind of occur from it it seemed like and uh, it it really added an extra layer to the storytelling a a little bit you know um, which helped guide all the players through what was happening yeah a little more so that that was that was really neat yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so that's 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 another thing that i'm looking forward to so, Chaz, if I can sort of pull the rug out from under you for a second. The next thing I want to bring up is, is we talked about this just prior, is when Chaz jumped on here and we got on the call, I said to Chaz, I said, you know what? This is probably the exact time that you and I would be running into each other at an airport. Because Chaz lives in Oregon and I live in Idaho. Mm-hmm. And um, when we go to Gen Con or any con, we tend to end up meeting at whatever the adjoining airport is. Um, you know, whether it's Denver or Utah or something and without even really arranging it. And, uh, so the other thing that I'm going to miss in addition to running into jazz at the airport is, uh, meeting everybody at uh, Gen Con specifically, but any convention, obviously. And so that's the thing I'm most looking forward to in 2021 is just, you know, I talked about this on a podcast several months ago, but it's the, the feeling is still just as much there. Like I can't, I sort of throw myself into the future and imagine myself kind of going down the uh, escalator at the Indianapolis airport and just kind of soaking in Indianapolis. And like the first time that I walk into a hotel and I see somebody, you know, like Chaz in an airport or something, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I think I'm going to be a little bit overwhelmed, you know, and uh, maybe a little bit uh, verklempt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah so i mean i'm looking forward to that moment though and experiencing that with uh, hopefully several people but yeah that's i i just i just can't wait i just can't wait for that yeah no i remember i remember one of the best ones of those it was you uh, i can't remember which convention we were going to and i don't think it was the denver airport it was a different airport but maybe maybe it was salt lake but uh i remember getting a text from you that said, hey, are, are you know, are you at the airport? Because we knew that our 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 layovers were going to both have some overlap uh, in the same. Right. So it's like, hey, are you uh, have you arrived at the airport yet? It's like, oh yeah, I'm in I'm at gate 21A. And I get this text. Right. Wait, 21A? 
Look to your left. <laughs> I look over, and you're actually sitting like just a couple of rows over. And we had yeah. the same flight for the rest of the way in. We didn't even realize it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was awesome. And it, yeah, yeah, it seems like there's been at least two or three other times that we've just and now now we're, we're a little bit more in touch with each other. Yeah. So it's like, are you flying in when? Okay, when's your layover? Okay, well I'll probably run into. We had like a half hour window. Yeah, uh, we'll run into each other. But yeah, it's always a great. Uh, it's always a nice moment. You know, it's a weird thing too, Chaz. I don't know if you experienced this, but when I get on the uh, airplane here in Spokane and I get on and I, you know, I'm just kind of taking in everybody. I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, average folks. And then when I land in whatever that connecting airport is, mm-hmm. and then I go to my, whatever my gate is, it's like the people just kind of start slowly getting geekier and geekier and geekier. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, it's like, oh, you know, maybe like uh, 40% of the people here on this plane are going to Gen Con. You know, and then I land and then it just gets geekier and geekier and geekier. And it's just this funny, it's like this crescendo of nerddom or something. You know, by Friday at Gen Con, it's just, you know, the tidal wave crashes and then it starts to recede. <laughs> but I always, I always have a kick kind of, you know, trying to pick spot people based on their like t-shirt or something, you know, or the color of their hair or something stupid. You know, like, I'm like, oh, I bet they're going to Gen Con. <laughs> I could tell you. Every single time. Yes. <laughs> yep, that's exact <laughs> yeah. same experience. Uh, it, yeah. And it's it's neat, too, because it's kind of like, oh, you know, it, I, my tribe, you know, we're, we're all here. Right. And it's like you know, all these people. Um, and, and sometimes you even get the people that you start to recognize, you know, every now and then. Hey, yeah. I've seen that person before in the convention hall. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it just the, the T-shirts and, and everything uh, just it gets. Yeah. Geeky, geeky. What I like is leaving Gen Con, that um, flight in the Indianapolis airport, you'll walk down the airplane aisle to your seat, and nine out of ten people's carry-on is some board game they're clutching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I remember when Ashes came out, it was like, Walking down the aisle, ashes, 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 bag, bag, ashes, bag, <laughs> ashes, ashes, bag. <laughs> yeah. So did you have a, a last item? Um, well, uh, my, my last item too was actually the, uh, was, was that travel. Um, uh, yeah, because I used to historically, I'm a bit of a homebody, like during the whole, qu- this quarantine, uh, I filled up my car with gas in early February um, and then I filled it last a week before two weeks ago. I think I filled it. Um, wow. Yeah. And and I've been fine. I've been like, you know, oh, I can do this. You want need me to stand on my head? I can do this all day long. Uh, <laughs> so I've always kind of been a homebody and I never I never enjoyed travel until about four or five years ago when I started going to the conventions. I my my wife gave me this really good piece of advice before my first one because I was real nervous about going. I was like, oh, I don't want to be away from home. She said, you know what? It's an adventure. Just in- embrace the adventure of it. And now, I uh, you know I you know you go and you go to these foreign airports and sometimes you go to them often enough you start to become familiar with it. You know, there's certain right. places to eat. I know I, I want to go in certain airports or certain things. And uh, I, I kind of miss those little adventures, you know, and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next adventure I get to go on that way. And then, of course, have the added benefit of seeing everybody and, uh, you know, being together with all the friends I've made, um, both in media and just, you know, viewers and other people I've met. But, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to my next adventure I get to go on. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I was thinking about maybe a couple of weeks ago because uh, my wife and I usually try to get away and go do something like once a year. We go for like a weekend or maybe a week every couple of years somewhere. And, uh, you know, nothing too outlandish. We always talk about like going to Europe or something. But usually we make our way down to like Las Vegas once in a while or into California or Seattle, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's just something special about getting out of your hometown, I think, where you live and just kind of letting the rest of the world sort of wash over you from that perspective or that, I don't know how to say it's because like, you you know, you're talking about seeing the same people in the airport. Well, I feel like I see the same people here. Like when I go to the grocery store or something, I'm seeing the same mentality. Like I'm attributing a mentality to people that they don't deserve probably, Mm -hmm. but I feel like my brain kind of does that. And then if I go to another state, another country or whatever, I feel like I get the chance to learn a little bit more about 
how people are and how the world is for some reason, you know? Oh, like ab- it just kind of happens, you know? Oh, absolutely. I know. I think, I think that every single person on this planet should be mandated to do that several times in their life. Um, yeah. Cause I, I had, I had the, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to Essen last year and, um, what, you know, and going over, it was the first time I, I went to Essen, but as soon as I got off the plane and I was over there, it's like, okay, now I need to figure out how to get from the airplane to my hotel room. <laughs> it was this instant realization of, oh, oh, the United States isn't the center of the universe. <laughs> oh, there's all these different people and cultures and things. And okay. Right. And it was like, I was, I was really glad I had that reminder. Um, and it's like, okay, yeah. I want to have that reminder. I think it's healthy to have that reminder pretty frequently um in your life oh yeah i yeah i can't agree more that's i think about that often i think we, we might have had this conversation too but if if people can like like you said it should be like mandatory like and it's it's expensive which stinks yeah. but if you can like force somebody to go to another country yeah. just any country and just be there for a week or a month or something yeah then it's just gonna i mean you, you can't really explain like what it does to it's, you, because I think it does something different to everybody, of course. But yeah, yeah, but it does pull you out of your little bubble that you get in. Uh, you, you know, you're definitely out yeah. of your comfort zone, but it, you know, it makes you realize, oh, this there is so much more to this world than what I see every day and experience every yeah. day. And it's yeah. yeah, it's and it's I think it's a really healthy feeling too. Exactly. Yeah, I think it it is healthy. It's it's just it's it's good for you. You know. Like you can't eat the same, you can't eat mac and cheese every day, right? You got to spice it up and, exactly, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, Chess, I really appreciate you jumping on and it was great to have you and great to see you. <laughs> uh, I know that this is going to be a podcast so people won't be able to see us, but um, you kind of said at the beginning where, where you can be found, but uh, just g- take it away again just so you can give a plug to all the places where you're at. Okay, there's... There's four main places. Uh, <laughs> so I hope you have 20 minutes. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Twitter, uh, if you want, oh, the, the four main places are uh, Board Game Geeks YouTube channel. There's a couple of produ- a couple of videos I produce every month there. Uh, then the Pair of Dice Paradise YouTube channel. Uh, that has been kind of quiet the last few mo- weeks because I've been extremely busy uh, with the main channel I've been working on, which is the Watch It Played channel, along with Matthew Jude, Paula Deming, and Rodney Smith. And if you want to uh, communicate with me in some way, the best way to do that is probably through Twitter, actually, where it's Dice Paradise on Twitter. All right. Yeah, and I'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes if folks want to. If you haven't heard of Chaz, I don't know why you're on this channel because you were <laughs> heard of Chaz already. But but anyway, yeah, folks want to check out Chaz's stuff. And uh, the stuff that you all are doing over in the Watch It Play stuff has been really cool to see. Thanks. And then, Chaz, just a special shout-out for you because you started the – and I'm going to screw up the name. But the uh, the hotness mm-hmm. – oh, I had a huge brain fart. You know the hotness video that you do for Board Game Geek? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Casey Kasem Rising Stars thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how I, that's how I have it in my brain is that, even though that's not what it's called at all. That is always a really interesting video, and you you do that actually for Board Game Geek. Yes. Um, and that's a really neat thing because he kind of tracks the hotness, and you see the, the risers and the fallers and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a neat thing because you can kind of see, okay, what are people talking about? And then you discuss a little bit about maybe why is this back in the hotness? Why is this staying in the hotness every week? Like certain games or every, yeah. every single week. <clears throat> the the hotness video uh, is <laughs> subtitled also. Let's talk. What's Gloomhaven doing this month? <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. Yeah. Okay, sir. Well, it was good to see you again, and I really appreciate you coming on. You too. And everything. So yeah, anytime. And thanks so much. Okay, so we're back to just uh, my talking head here. Uh, Like I said at the beginning, I want to outline a couple of things coming up that you can expect to see on the channel, give you a little bit more kind of uh, hope for the future that you're going to see some fun things from uh, this YouTube channel and this podcast in general. Then I'll jump into a handful of reviews, which uh, at the beginning, I kind of sounded like they were all going to be negative. That's actually not going to be the case. It's just, uh, they're, you know, they're kind of taken with a bit of grain of salt. There's a little bit of, 
general caveating that I'll have to do with some of this stuff because it's just for various different reasons. You'll see when we get there. <laughs> so let's just talk about some previous stuff that's going to be upcoming. Uh, so I've gotten a lot of feedback over the last several weeks about doing some more Age of Sigmar uh, battle reports. I did a 40K battle report for the new 9th edition uh, about a week ago at the time of this recording. And so there's actually a contest going on there, which I should have mentioned earlier. But if you want to go in and make a comment over there, we'll check out that battle report. Uh, I'm giving away a, a half of the box set of miniatures. I'm giving away both halves, but to different people. So one person can win Necrons and one person can win the Space Marine half. So if you missed that, then uh, maybe go check that out. Uh, but uh, some folks, some feedback there, as well as some of the live streams I've been doing. I did some painting live streams a couple of weeks ago. I had a few folks ask me if I'm ever going to do any more Age of Sigmar battle reports, which I've done, I think, about a half a dozen so far. And the answer is yes. I just have my uh, General's Handbook for 2020 arrive. And there's some cool stuff in there that I'm trying to sinking my teeth into. Uh, they're actually, speaking of disappointment, there's a couple of things that are actually kind of disappointed me about some of the changes that they've made to some of the things for, uh, the, the general's handbook stuff. So I'm going to try to digest that a little bit more, see if I can't suck some fun out of that. I mean, I know I can, uh, specifically the auxiliary objectives. I thought they were going to be something that they're not, um, but maybe I can, uh, house rule some stuff to make it more interesting. Uh, so anyway, so you can see that at least probably one or two of those coming up. Um, I'm actually I set aside some more miniatures here to finish painting uh, just to kind of some endless spells and stuff to round out some of the armies that I haven't gotten around to. So I want to do that. And you'll see that. Uh, and so the next thing to talk about is also an Age of Sigmar thing, but it's the Age of Sigmar Soulbound RPG. I actually ran a session of this online with... Um, Marty Cannell and his two sons from the Rolling Dice and Taking Names uh, podcast. And we did a session of that. And you will probably hear me over on their podcast at a later date. I'm not sure exactly when, talking about both 9th Edition 40K and our session of the Soulbound RPG. And I had an absolute blast. And uh, they did too. Um, so we haven't talked formally yet about that. We've, we've only recorded the 40k segment so far at the time of this recording. Uh, but my impression of it was that they, they loved it as much as I did. And it was really, really uh, interesting. You know, I'm not the biggest RPG player. I've only ever played like Dungeons & Dragons and End of the World, uh, which is a Fantasy Flight RPG. And then I also ran a game of Warhammer Fantasy um, uh, earlier this year, like right before everything went into lockdown. I had a lot of fun that. But this was a very different type of experience, the way that it works out. Um, I don't want to get too much in the details here because I'd rather talk about it visually. But it's very different, very kind of a, a different kind of scope to what the characters are. It's, it's basically the exact opposite of the Warhammer Fantasy role-playing game, which you're very much these lowly, you know, worthless creatures that can just get squished at any moment. Where if you took that and then compared it with the Soulbound RPG, you're basically Captain America, Thor, Iron Man level power. And the way that the combat and the stories and everything work, it's at the super, super heroic uh, type of level there. And I was actually a little bit skeptical about how that was going to play out and stuff. But I don't get too much into details. You don't have to actually play it that way as well. It does give you some tools for playing it a little bit more realistically, I guess you could say. Uh, but really excited about that, and we're going to try to get another session in. I, I kind of want to get that session in and play around with a little bit more. Um, and the book isn't even out yet. You can only you can pre-order it, but you can't. You can only get the PDF right now. And I think the physical book should be out well, hopefully by the end of the year. But you never know these days. Anyway, so definitely look forward to that. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is another surprise, and you will see a video review about this. I need to get a chance to play it again. It's just hard to get games played, which stinks. But another one that surprised me was Cosmic Encounter Duel. And this one did not really expect much out of. I am, I would say, a pretty decent fan of Cosmic Encounter. I've had enough games of it that were sort of 
ugh, like just didn't really shake out. But I've had a couple of games of it that were just amazing, you know, great gaming experiences. Uh, if you're not familiar with Cosmic Encounter, you could probably go watch a Dice Tower review. And I think Shut Up and Sit Down did a review. It's a pretty well-known game. But um, Cosmic Encounter Duel is a two-player card game sort of set in the Cosmic Encounter universe. But it does take some of the funky character alien abilities and some other uh, little mechanics there uh, to, you know, make it feel like a Cosmic Encounter game. Obviously, there's no, like, negotiation and lying and backstabbing because it's just the two of you. There's nobody to lie to. You're just trying to beat each other up. But the way that you can play around with the alien abilities and try to, like, bluff out and be sneaky with your card play to sort of not really trick but just try to get it's very hard to explain because you get you can think of cosmic encounter has just this wacky abilities and like one of the basic aliens is prime numbers so if you play a card with a prime number then you know you get an extra 10 points or whatever to your thing and then you get other ones where it's like you're stuffing runs of numbers under your alien card and you get a certain number of cards under there then you automatically win the game but then you're not using those cards to try to win the planet so it becomes this weird race of the person the first person to win five planets versus this guy's trying to bury his cards under his alien card he's also maybe trying to win planets so this is a lot of weird stuff that can go on there and it makes it really interesting to kind of sort of tactically play around the other player really cool interesting and fun and wacky so that'll be coming up and then two more games I want to talk about here. Uh, the first one is Glenmore 2. I've had a chance to actually play this. I got this right before kind of lockdown. And then um, I was going to play it at a game on a Thursday, but that next Thursday was canceled. <laughs> and then I had a chance to play it right at that same time with the family. And then again now a couple of times. And I've had a chance to play it at... Um, at uh, all three player counts, two, three, and four. and But I haven't had a chance to play it with any of the Chronicles yet. So I want to try to get a chance to play it with Chronicles. So there's always been like a new person at the table and things like that. So we don't want to throw too much in. But so far, uh, I've enjoyed it. I have just loved uh, every minute of it. And so has everybody else that I've played it with. Uh, so it's a really, really cool game. But I, I do want to give a chance to play some of the Chronicles and things uh, before you know, I do like a proper video review. I'll do, I mean, I'll spoil it. It's going to be a, uh, a good review, a positive review. And, uh, you know, there is going to be a video about it for sure. Uh, but I just wanted to kind of mention it here because, again, the, the playtime aspect is, is is a tricky part of this. Uh, but I highly recommend it. I know I think it's for sale now and you can get it for a pretty decent amount. And it's a lot of stuff in the box. And I really do like how they have put everything together in terms of how you can mix and match and add the Chronicles in. Again, I can't really speak to the gameplay of those Chronicles, but on surface, I've read the rules actually to all eight of the Chronicles or whatever's in there. And I'm like, oh, that looks neat. Oh, that looks neat. Oh, this looks cool. I'd like to try this. So anyway, that's Glenmore 2. Uh, last thing as far as a preview goes is I have had a chance to play some more games of the Funkoverse game. And before I get into the specifics of what I would be reviewing here up in the upcoming weeks is I had a chance to play even the original since the review I did however long ago. Well, I would have been last year. And the, that system has really impressed me more and more and more uh, just how cool it is and how fun it is and how kind of sneakily elegant it is for a miniature skirmish style game. And my sort of estimation of it, it just keeps going up and up and up. And I think it is like, it could be like the perfect, like intro family, you know, play it with your kids kind of style of game uh, to sort of get them interested or get anybody interested in playing kind of a tactical skirmish warfare game. You know, a lot of times on this channel or I'll jump on some other folks' podcasts and stuff, we'll talk about something like a war cry or a kill team or Warhammer Underworlds or a claustrophobia, 1643, and that kind of stuff. And those are all, I mean, I don't take any of those words back about how that could be sort of a gateway into this other world of miniature skirmish games. But this one is such a funky, fun, you know, no pun intended there, uh, whimsical type of thing 
that I just I'm just more and more impressed by it. Now I've recently had a chance to play. There's a new kind of version or expansion of it for Game of Thrones, uh, and so you, it's kind of like a new starter box. You get the four characters, and then you get the double sided map and some scenarios and stuff like that. But these there's actually some really good variety and things like that in this starter box. It's not like they just cookie cutter copied and pasted. Uh, the exact same mechanics and scenarios from some of the other starter boxes that are out there. There's some very specific things to this starter box, and there's also some new kind of mechanics and stuff. So this one's like a little bit slightly more advanced, I would say, uh, than some of the originals, the Harry Potters and the Batman stuff that had originally come out. Uh, so I'll definitely do a, a video review of that here on the near, near future. And it's, so it's just really continued... Uh, to impress me, uh, this system. So, I mean, that's just kind of a sneak peek, hopefully, you know, what your appetite, whatnot for new stuff that's coming up. Okay, let's go ahead and jump into some reviews now. I got to talk about five uh, different games here of varying uh, estimation. Uh, let's start with the, we're going to work our way up from bad to, to good kind of thing here. So, first thing I'm going to talk about is uh, Yacht Rock. And I didn't really have any inkling this game existed or anything like that. I got kind of a package from uh, Funkoverse from the, the Prospera Hall design team. You know, I just mentioned the, the Game of Thrones Funkoverse game. Uh, this Yacht Rock one, I said, you know, can you send me that one? Because this looks, you know, really freaking interesting. It's about making like soft rock 70s style music you know, as a game. And, you know, the Prospero Hall design team has just been really kind of knocking down the park, you know, over the last uh, two years or so. And I was like, I have to figure, I have to see what this is all about. And I thought they did an excellent job with uh, the top game, uh, excuse me, the top gun game that came out. And that top gun game, I've got a video review up for it. The sense of humor in that game is really something special, I think. Uh, just a very, very quirky kind of thing where kind of the humor of it, the tongue-in-cheek aspect of it, is really built into the game mechanics. And I was like, okay, they're going to go through and you're going to produce this cheeseball 70s soft rock or yacht rock, which is a term I'd never heard before. I was like, i got to see how this works. Well, the game just ends up being a very kind of simple set collection game where it has this kind of thing where you collect certain types of wardrobe cards as well as like music style cards and then you sort of uh you you, you play like a single or, or you release a single like a music single and then you go to these events like these parties and you can kind of uh cooperatively in a way sort of combine and do like duets with other players that are collecting cards so you're trying to match these different criteria these different styles of music and styles of clothes uh, but it really is just a real simple, basic set collecting game. And I don't really get like the soft rock 70s thing. And there's not really any, from what I can see, any attempt at the humor or anything other than kind of the, the window dressing, you know, of the art and the cards and everything. So I was a little bit let down on this one because I, I think I maybe worked it up in my head more than it actually is. Uh, but that's Yacht Rock from Prospero Hall from Funko Funko Games. Um, yeah, it was just like, uh, it's kind of a lark type of thing. Apparently they also have another game called the Pop-Tart Game. And I don't know, I think I looked at that one before, you know, when I, they asked me some stuff to send. And I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. The Pop-Tart one didn't relate to me, but maybe I made the wrong choice there. I should have asked for the Pop-Tart Game. Because now I'm curious about that. I'm just curious about this, these sort of, uh, really quirky, interesting themes that, that these folks have been tackling. All right, so the next game is uh, Liberation of Raithburg. And this is in the Legends of Andor universe, which is designed by uh, Michael Menzel and uh, published by Cosmos. Now, the Liberation of Raithburg is not designed uh, by Michael Menzel. The art is done by Michael Menzel. And this is a pretty straightforward uh, co-op game. Uh, it's almost like a card game, but it's more using cards like tiles in a way. And so you're, you, you lay these cards out in this kind of map around this tower. 
And then you flip over these bad events and bad monsters and things that you have to contend with. And then you have a very simple kind of hand of cards with special abilities. I believe there's six different uh, characters that you can use. And you kind of bounce back and forth, kind of putting out fires. It's a very straightforward co-op. The different characters have different special abilities and stuff like that. There's like a wizard and an archer and a fighter and all that kind of thing. And then you get some uh, magical tokens and things like that that you can spend. And so to, or little focus token kind of things where you kind of like beef up your special abilities. And it's so okay game. Like it's actually kind of decent. Um, I played this solo a few times kind of during lockdown and it was an interesting kind of, uh, time waster. You know, it was a good kind of, you know, 45 minutes or so of time once you kind of learn the mechanics, but it, there's just nothing real kind of that you know, engaging or or special that's going to hook me and grab me and keep me coming back and playing more. I do kind of liken it to something like a Forbidden Island, a Forbidden Desert, you know, that style of co-op game where it's uh, real basic mechanics and very simple and easy to get into and actually, you know, sort of physically play. And with some decent amount of strategy there kind of underneath it. But just this one becomes very... I don't know, there's a certain level of frustration to how this one sort of evolves where it's like, oh, I just, you know, put out this fire over here and this other thing flips and then it resets everything that I just did, that kind of thing. And so then it becomes very card county where it's like, okay, this is going to reset that. I've got so many cards left in this deck on this location. Go over here, blah, blah, blah. And so I just kept wanting to rather play like a Forbidden Island or something like that. Uh, That was a little bit more tactical spatially. Whereas these were just kind of, the decks of cards did not really feel like they were in any special spot, although you kind of lay them around this board. So it just becomes this kind of really rote kind of card flipping mechanism where you're trying to build up, you know, stats and points to sort of put out fires and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the art and everything is really nice there and all that, but didn't really, you know, end up caring for this one uh, at all. This is the liberation of Rietberg. So the next game I want to talk about here is uh, Planet Apocalypse from Peterson Games. And Peterson Games, the only game that I'm familiar with that they did a couple of years ago that was really cool was called Cthulhu Wars, which was this giant like area control game with these just humongous miniatures, kind of like a Chaos in the Old World or Blood Rage kind of style game, like area control, trying to take over the world as a... You, the, each of the players plays like a demonic, uh, you know, Cthulhu-style figure. That's a really cool game. Uh, Planet Apocalypse is a co-op game, and it's almost like a tower defense game where some sort of evil demonic entity is, you know, trying to take over the Earth, that kind of thing. And so you, in the main box, which is the only thing that I've played, is you uh, you have basically two different scenarios in that box and sort of two different villains that you fight. And you have different special characters, and you get special ability powers and stuff. You roll lots of dice, and then you sort of can get these other cards that are like civilian militia or government soldiers and that kind of thing. And you put them on this board, which is more like a track than a board. And the demons kind of like, you know, execute their incursion against that. Although the other scenario is more like, uh, it's more like a boss fight, I guess you could say. But... You know, so you lay down this kind of tower defense kind of thing with these other sort of minion soldiers and stuff, and then you fight off demons and and do all that kind of thing, and then you'll end up fighting this big bad boss, and there's sort of a different kind of mini game uh, with that boss, and it's a pretty fun game. Like it's 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 okay, I would say. Now my issue with it is, is it reminded me a lot mechanically um, with Cthulhu Death May Die, uh, which came out last year. And that one, I think, is a superior game for a number of reasons. Like, mechanically, it's not... I wouldn't say it's that much superior because you do have that kind of sort of funky setup where you get a little bit of asymmetry with the different heroes that you can use. And then you you can acquire, in the case of uh, Planet Apocalypse, you get these, like, gift cards, which are just augmented special abilities. And they represent a lot of things, you know. Uh, just little powers and abilities and equipment stuff that you can get. And so it kind of reminds me of that way. But it loses out on the configurability of Death May Die. Because Death May Die has this real cool concept of you take 
this scenario and then you mash it with this boss. And you can take the same scenario and mash it with a different boss or take a different scenario. So in the base box, you've got like a bunch of different sort of configurations that you can kind of throw at it. Whereas this one, you've got two and that's it. And they, they do actually have a bunch of different scenarios but you've got to buy like extra $60, $70 boxes of stuff. I don't know if that's the exact price, but you're going to be paying and adding that much more, which Cthulhu Death My Dad has that too. But just in the base game, you get, you don't really need any expansions. I mean, you could play that, you know, probably a dozen times or more before you really had to get an expansion for it. And so that's kind of the, my issue with this one is it's, it's kind of like, it feels like that same thing where they're trying to like mix and match bosses and levels and scenarios and things like that. But that would end up being like this gigantic, you know, giant shelf of stuff. Game mechanically and sort of emotionally and like the level of excitement is the same to me as a Cthulhu Death May Die. So it's like, that's just the, the whole time I was playing it. I played it twice. I'm just like, oh man, I would just rather say, just go play that, you know, because then you've got pretty much the same thing. Maybe a little bit better, I think, even uh, in terms of that style of game. Uh, where it's, you see, they're not really dungeon crawls. They're like these interesting cooperative puzzle type of things. You know, there is kind of a spatial, you know, room to room movement or zone to zone movement kind of thing. But it's more, it feels more like a standard kind of co-op thing than like, you know, like a Descent or something or, or Warhammer Quest where you're kind of traversing a dungeon and going through. It has that interesting sort of combat co-op type of thing. And so I would just have to say Cthulhu Death More Die is, is, is a vastly superior choice there. And you're going to spend way less money uh, getting that one. Anyway, so that's Planet Apocalypse there from Peterson Games. Now, these last two, um, let's start out with, I'm going to kind of reverse the order I was expecting to do that in. So let's first talk about Ride the Rails. Now, Ride the Rails is from Capstone Games. And I think you might see a review of this down the road. Now, the problem is, uh, when I've had a chance to play this with the family, there's basically, I can get the three-player game played. And we like it. We like it at three-player. But it's, it, at this point, it's like a little bit mathy. There's not enough going on. So Ride the Rails is one of these kind of uh, winsome-style train games. So it, it what it really does is it takes an 18xx game and then rips away everything. Like, you don't even have auctions. You just take a share. So on your turn, you take a share, and then you put out some track, and then you will run, like, some passengers on the track or through all the various tracks that all the players have built, and you get some income and some dividends and all that stuff. So it rips away everything. You know, a lot of times with these sort of winsome games or these sort of 18xx light games, they probably still have an auction. You know, there'll be some a little bit more basic mechanics. Think of, like, a Chicago Express um, Irish Gage, which is the first game in the series uh, from Capcom. It's kind of a more basic 18xx style train game. Uh, German Railways is another one that I've liked. There's been a few others in this style. It's not an Age of Steam. It's not a Steam style game. And it's definitely not an 18xx game. But this has some really, really interesting things going on. But uh, like a lot of these style of games, you want that more full player count. So this one's going to sit on the shelf it's probably going to take some time before I can get it in front of a group of like with four and five players. Uh, and I've said I played a couple times now, three player. And it's like, eh, yeah, I just know this is going to be better with more players. And so I'm going to hang on to it um, and try to get it played. You know, eventually uh, it might be next year, you know, but we have enjoyed it. You know, my family that, that I've played with, we have actually enjoyed it, but it's just, at the three-player count, not really good good enough to, you know, to say I would keep this in my collection or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's it's just right on that cusp. And I and I I usually have a good sense about that kind of thing where I can play something at a player count and be like, oh, this is not the best player count. Or if I'm playing it at, at the best player count, I have a sense of like this probably doesn't work as a two-player game or that kind of thing. So anyway, that's ride the rails. I would take a look at it and check it out if you've got a group that, you know, four or five that can play this. But at three, it works. It's fine. It just becomes a little bit too dry and plain and not really enough interaction and excitement at that player count. Now, the last game I want to talk about here is another um, 
uh, Prospero Hall game. And this one is, I'm really struggling with how to talk about this one. And this one is Pan Am, uh, published by, again, Prospero Hall and Funko Games. And this one's got a lot of buzz. And I, I know I've watched a couple of videos on it and stuff and how to play it before I asked him to have it. And I was really excited about it because I was like, oh, this looks great. Everybody's loving this. And I've played it twice now. I've played it a two-player and I've played a three-player. And I will the, the takeaway from my review is going to be it's a great 45 minutes to 60 minutes. And then the end just absolutely kills it for me. <laughs> and there's, so there's a couple of problems with the game. So I don't want to get too mechanically detailed here. There's a couple of great re- uh, videos out there. Just go grab you know your favorite reviewer and watch their video. Um, it's a cool, interesting sort of bidding mechanism. If you're familiar with Vegas Showdown, it reminds me of that. And that's a game that my group has really liked. Um, this one, there is a tabletop simulator for, so I've, I have had a chance to play it with my game group. And uh, it's the, the mechanisms and the way that the rounds work out is really, really, really cool. I really like 90% of this game. I like the bidding structure. I like the way that the turn order gets manipulated. It does this funky thing. So one of the action spaces where you go, you get like a little directive bonus card. But then the the little worker pawns there, they get to go first in the next round. So it kind of breaks turn order for a couple of placements. And then it goes back to turn order and everybody plays it. So that, that kind of reminds me of like a Lords of Waterdeep action where remember if you've ever played War, Lords of Waterdeep, you can go and play an action card and then you can move those workers to a new spot. Which was almost just as almost better just to do that than to actually play the action card. So it's really funky, and the way that you can kind of time that and you build these like airplane routes that this larger company, Pan Am, is going to come gobble up, and you can, it's going to give you some money, and then you can buy stock in that company, Pan Am, after they've bought you out, sort of thing. And so snagging those good routes is the interesting part of it, and the timing of that is just really—I mean, it's really really cool how they did it. And I'm very impressed by that part of it. Um, the problem is, is at the end of the game, it's very, very like lucky determining who wins the game. Because there's two things that bother me. One is these directive cards that I talked about. So you go get the directive cards and they'll give you little cool little special abilities that you can like play on your turn or when you do a certain type of action. Think of Viticulture if you've ever played that where you're like, oh, I'm going to go buy an airplane. But now I've got the special power card so I can sort of change that up and now it'll be cheaper for me or whatever. Or when I expand, I can expand a little cheapy route for free. So you get these cool ability cards and I like that part of it. But some of those ability cards are at the end of the game, you get a free stock. Now stock is victory points. So at the end of the game, whoever has the most stock wins. So if you go to the directive pile often, and you should, you're going to have in your hand a bunch of hidden victory points, which is like, okay, so we're going to play the game. And then we're going to be tied at the end of the game, which happened in my two player game or, you know, within a one stock of each other. And then whoever got the most random stock points out of that directive card wins, which is like, mm, okay. And so that was a bad taste. I actually lost a two player game because I was like, oh, we're tied. So now we're going to go to the tiebreaker and like, oh, I have an extra victory point in my hand. It was like, ah, I didn't know those were in there because literally I hadn't even seen any when I played it. And then we played our three-player game, and I told everybody, I said, okay, there's like eight of these in the deck. Just be aware of that. This is something you might want to chase and get a little bit of. You're going to get a benefit. Even if you don't get those, you're going to get a cool ability. So that was fine. So that kind of eased off me a little bit. Uh, It still bothers me, though. But then, at the end of the game, the way that uh, you have these events that come up each round that kind of change a little bit of the game, which which is neat. But then all of the round seven event cards, which... Um, you know, there's seven rounds in the game and they're going to kind of change up how sort of Pan Am reacts at the end of the game. Well, if you've been somewhat smart about what you're doing, then you can sort of out position somebody and have Pan Am buy up a bunch of your stuff. And then some of those cards will just give you extra money or just straight up, you know, buy out your stuff and, you know, just trigger in different ways. So the state of the board at the end of the game, based with whatever random event in round seven there is, it's going to favor somebody um, more or less over some other players. 
And so we, we looked at it. And so my friend who, who I ended up getting second in that game, he, uh, he, he was a huge swing because he had a couple of those end game stock cards that were hidden. And then plus he just, he just dumped out a ton. He basically got, he got basically six stock out of that. Where if a different end game card had flopped, he would have gotten one extra stock out of what he was able to sell versus the rest, the rest of us who were kind of playing the normal game. You know, we got a couple of stock out of that end game. So it was like, okay, so we all did like a pretty good job here, but then the winner was just decided by really random stuff. And so, and I think I'm struggling with it because like I said, the, Everything leading up until that is really neat. Like how you jockey for position and you bid and you have all these kind of, you know, timing aspects and everything. It's really well done except for that just random thing. And I have less of a problem now with like the random stock at the end of the game because that can kind of force you to try to do certain things. But then there's a random event too at the end where it's like, oh, well, if I had played this way, the random event would have favored me. But if, you know, Billy played this other way, the random event maybe doesn't favor them or favors who, whatever. So it's like, and then I'm like, well, what if you could see that, you know, at the end? But, you know, like in the third round, you flip up the seventh round event so you can see it coming and everybody can kind of play around with that. I don't know. It just really fell flat for me uh, with that, with that whole aspect. And so, I don't know, it's something I might play again. I'm just not really sure that I would do it. I think there's probably some people in my group that might like it. And I might be putting too much on it. Like I might be trying to make steam out of it when it's more of like Ticket to Ride or Airlines Europe style game. Uh, but we all kind of talked about it, actually. We all said, well, we'd all rather play Airlines Europe, <laughs> you know, because that has some randomness in it as well. And it has a similar kind of theme with, you know, building uh, airplane routes and whatnot. Um, but yeah. So yeah, it's again, it's it's tricky to say because it is really fun for about the first ninety percent of the game, and then that end game thing is like, I think even like a more casual player would be like, oh well, it's because you've got that card. That's I thought I was doing pretty good or whatever. I don't know. It just it just really falls on its face for me. Okay, so anyway, that's the end of the podcast. Hopefully, you listened all the way through. Um, Again, take a look at that uh, 9th edition 40K video if you want to get entered into the drawing to uh, win half of that box set. And I hope you enjoyed having Chaz on. It was a pleasure having Chaz on. I'm always happy to talk with Chaz. And so hopefully, you know, I'm trying to get back into a more regular schedule here. Uh, it's It's been tough, you know, of course, with the move and with just the whole COVID thing. Uh, but, yeah, I still enjoy making content. So it's just sometimes it's hard to figure out stuff to talk about if I haven't been able to get any games played or anything. Uh, so I think everybody's kind of having that same struggle, but, uh, anyway, take care of yourselves and then I will see you in the next video or podcast. Thanks. Podcast. Thanks.